Southwestern family of companies welcomes you to the Action Catalyst. Each week, our diversely and amazingly accomplished guests share their insights and inspirations to help us ignite our own. So let's invest attention together to breathe, to reflect and refocus, and decisively defeat that voice we call Mr. Mediocrity. Then let's enjoy moving forward to make a positive difference in our world. Are you interested in advertising with the Action Catalyst? Our listeners could be hearing about your brand right here, right now. For details, shoot us an email at info at theactioncatalyst.com. Dacker, one of the first things I'd like to ask you about is the book that you put together called Born to be Good, which, which is fascinating because so many people in business and in society think that survival and moving forward is about winning, dominating, taking power, et cetera. You take a very, very different approach, which focuses on compassion, relationships, cooperation, et cetera. Really interesting for people building businesses. Would love to hear your comments on how that all came about. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's been one of the defining themes, not only, you know, of my life, but of the science that I do and then the teaching out in the business world, Dan, which is we have this old idea that really comes out of the Middle Ages, really, of, you know, you have to take people down and you have to, you know, making it in life is really about survival of the fittest. And we've changed a lot since then. And, and, and what the science is starting to show is humans have this incredible capacity to be kind and to share and to collaborate. You know, a couple of my favorite findings in this literature, there are chemicals that stream through your brain and your blood that help you cooperate with other people, a chemical called oxytocin that I write about in Born to Be Good. 18-month-olds, if they see a, a stranger kind of struggling to pick something up or to close a door and they can help out, they most of the time, they help, right? They just reflexively help. And my favorite is, by David Rand showing if I'm asked to give resources to a stranger and there's no benefit to me and I make that decision really quickly, I give 65% of the resource to a stranger. And if I'm asked to think about it and do some calculations, I actually give less. So that tells us that, you know, and, and I know your listeners feel this in their daily lives, you know, and in their, the charity they engage in or volunteering at schools or, or even at work is we are remarkably collaborative. And there's a lot of new data coming in showing not only do we have these tendencies, but it actually helps you bring out better work from your work colleagues. It helps you in a leadership position, keep the respect of the teams that you're leading. Really that, you know, these foundational, old, ethical principles of being kind and serving others and being empathetic actually help the bottom line. They help you as an individual. Mm -hmm. It's an amazing finding. And of course, there's a lot of emphasis on, on being rational. There's yeah. think, thinking fast, thinking slow, figuring out what decision makers to do. And yet you talk about the most human of traits and how important that is toward building societies and building organizations. I was struck to read that you feel embarrassment is one of these universal human traits that actually makes a massive difference in communicating effectively. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for asking about embarrassment. It was really one of my favorite emotions. And, uh, and this really began my scientific career of human kindness and cooperation and, and with the observation that, you know, when we make mistakes and we call a friend by the wrong name or we're not wearing the right clothes to a particular outing or we often show this really subtle pattern of behavior where we look down and we smile awkwardly and we turn away and we show our neck and 
And that's all part of this embarrassment response that triggers forgiveness and kindness and cooperation in other people because they see we recognize the mistake we've made and they realize it's not that big a deal and they forgive us. But actually, you know, Dan, embarrassment is part of this broader social tendency to be humble and modest and not step on other people's toes and to be deferential. And there's a lot of new work coming out by people like Frank Flynn down at Stanford and uh, Cameron Anderson here at Berkeley showing that leaders who show more modesty in the occasional act of embarrassment or they tell us a self-deprecating story that makes fun of themselves actually lead in more effective ways. The people they're leading trust them. They feel they're not going to take advantage of them. They feel they have stronger character in this surprisingly sort of self-deprecating emotion of embarrassment. So again, another nod to there's this age-old virtue of being modest and humble that's expressed momentarily in things like embarrassment. And it, it really benefits us both in our personal lives and at work. Well, just a question on that, because uh, many of the, the icons of entrepreneurial greatness that we study who started multi, multi-billion dollar corporations almost seem to display the opposite. There's sort of a lack of that self-deprecation and much more of, a, of an arrogance or our way is the way. Is that going to be self-limiting at some point? Is it going to come crashing down on them as they lose team members or fail to build the right culture they want? This is the fundamental question that I grappled with in this other book, The Power Paradox. And, you know, there are these competing intuitions, you know, that we're starting to sketch out here, Dan, of you got to be bold and, you know, assert yourself uh, to succeed, especially in business, but and also in other realms as well. But at the same time, you need kind of the modesty and the kindness and the cooperation to build the networks around you that really build and sustain the business that you're building. I think I really took, and there, there are actually a ton of studies that are reviewing the power paradox on this question of how much do we assert ourselves? How much do we need strength and boldness or in excess, you might call arrogance? And then how much do you need this pro-social, compassionate, modest stuff we've been talking about? And I think the answer is you really need this complex mixture of great leaders, no doubt need to be, know when to be bold and need to know when to be clear and to be strong uh, and to go after what you believe in. But really enduring leadership and enduring influence and making a difference in the world is found, is sustained by service. You know, Jim Collins from Good to Great is level six leadership. The really enduring kinds of leadership is founded in service. And, and so I think and all of your listeners, I know, know this very deeply, which is leadership and, and developing a great business and making a difference in the world is complicated. And there are no simple answers like always take whatever you want that fails or always give away everything and be monk like in how you approach business. But you do need this mixture of, of boldness and kindness almost on a daily basis. So it's a complicated story, but with some wisdom to follow. Right. If I can take a stab at trying to explain the, the power paradox, we often think that sure. we often think that power is something that one seizes. But what you say is power is actually granted. Power is granted by those we lead through a voluntary assent to say, yes, I will allow you to influence me. And that's where the paradox lies. Because I'm giving this to you, 
you have power to influence me. When I encountered this idea that your power, your capacity to lead and make a difference in the world really rests in the the judgments and actions of other people around you, right? You're only as good as the connections you have to the people you lead in terms of power. That idea shook me to the core. Uh, you know, we, we have this stereotype of power, and I think it really comes from Machiavelli, who is one of the great writers of power and wrote this very influential book in 1512, The Prince, which told us that you got to lead through fear, you got to lead through coercion, take your allies down, weaken the people around you to gain power. And we have to remember that, you know, that book was written 500 years ago. It was a very violent time in European history. It was a really a much different uh, time. And today, in many different parts of the world, and there are exceptions to this, leadership and really making enduring leadership is rooted in your ability to build strong social networks and teams. You know, it's been interesting, like I've just had the great privilege of being close to, you know, like Pete Docter, like you said, Dan, when he made Inside Out for Pixar. And I thought like going in, just hanging around Pete and watching the film take shape and seeing how it was created, I thought it would just come straight out of Pete's mind, you know, this genius and this brilliant artist. But what I saw was that the real brilliance of the film was in how Pete took his ideas and had 250 people implement them (laughs) through kindness and and humility and interest in other people and curiosity. So we are in many places only as good in terms of our power and influence as the trust that people have around us. And that's very true. You you make the statement uh, in your writings that a leader's capacity to alter the state of others depends upon their trust in the leader and the ability. Yeah. And, 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 you know, you see this across history, you know, you see, you know, there've been really interesting studies of us presidents where people write about what presidents have enduring legacies like Abraham Lincoln and what, what presidents don't like Richard Nixon. And what you find, you know, Lincoln's legacy, which in, in historians eyes is one of the most important acts of leadership in U.S. history really rested in hard, humbling work of bringing together all the different voices and opinions during his historical period to create a new America, right? And, And it really was in serving the opinions and being curious about others and being humble in how he conducted himself that led to his success And I think that you can extend that example to almost every act of leadership, uh, whether it's building a business or raising teenagers. Well, building a business is way easier than raising teenagers. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me about it. (laughs) Well, and and it's very true because at the end of the day, everything is voluntary. You know, the, the one thing that we can never avoid, we all have to die. And second, we have to live with ourselves until that moment. Otherwise, everything's a choice. So the leader to think I control you or I own you is completely missing the boat because there's all kinds of ways to do work slowdowns, stoppages, pushbacks, subtle undermining of the leader that can just destroy that impact. So it's not a case of absolute control ever. And that's where the voluntary 
You know, and one of the things that really struck me, Dan, is, is new research, both out in businesses and then in the lab. And what these studies are finding is controlling leaders in today's workplace, which is so much more complicated than it was 50 years ago, the work that we do, controlling coercive leaders, not only do they undermine the creativity and the commitment and the health of the people that they're leading, right? If you're being led by a manager or a CEO who's arrogant and egoistic and coercive and controlling, the people around that individual are producing less productive work, less high quality work. They're checking out of work. They're taking more sick days. So there are direct effects upon the bottom line of this kind of controlling coercive style. Right. It's uh, super interesting. <clears throat> now in the power paradox, you, you quote one of Machiavelli's quotes about power corrupts. And of course he went on to say absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. But you speak about four different ways that power corrupts. And maybe I can mention each of these four and you comment just a little bit. Uh, you say the first way that power can corrupt the leader is it leads to empathy deficit and diminished moral sentiment. What, what's that all about? Well, there's this new thinking, Dan, and, and I bet your listeners are really thinking hard about this. And I think it actually traces back to Daniel Goleman's book, Emotional Intelligence, Right that great leadership requires emotional intelligence. And at the heart of emotional intelligence is empathy. And really simply is, do I know what Dan Moore is thinking about? Do I hear him really effectively? Do I listen with dignity and respect? Here's one of my favorite quotes that I encountered in um, kind of writing The Power Paradox, this book about new leadership. It's about Abraham Lincoln, one of my heroes. And this journalist during his era said, you know, the genius of Abraham Lincoln is he listens to everybody who goes to see him. He hears all that they have to say, and he reads whatever is written to him. And this was during an era when citizens could go visit the president and speak their mind and write him. And so when I teach leaders of different kinds, which I've done for 20 years, and they ask like, what's the magic, right? What's the secret? It's listening. You know, it's really with respect taking in what other people are thinking about. And we know that makes teams more effective. And there are cool studies coming out of MIT on collective intelligence. When leaders listen, the people around them produce really much better work. But regrettably, what we find, Dan, and I bet your audience and listeners have encountered this firsthand, which is once somebody becomes taken with their own ego and their power, they stop listening to people as effectively as they used to. And, and so it produces these empathy deficits. Mm -hmm. It's like the old saying, when somebody is starting out, they seek other people's opinions. And later on, they say, when I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That, that sums up 20 years of science right there. <laughs> so that's, that's empathy deficit. Uh, you also say that it can corrupt by leading to self-serving, impulsive behavior. Yeah. You know, this boy, you know, we have no shortage of examples of this, don't we? You know, I mean, just you read the newspaper and every day some leader is doing things that are, you know, paying themselves too much or engaging inappropriate sexual behavior and so on. But, you know, what I was really impressed with and concerned by, Dan, is the more everyday kinds of impulsive behaviors that studies have started to document. So my favorite 
that is so relevant to the workplace is work by Christine Porath, who's at Duke University. And she was really interested in how when we feel impressed with our own power, it degrades our civility, our basic dignity and humanity with which we treat other people. And what she found, she surveyed 27 different organizations. So this is a pretty far reach in terms of the kind of workplace that she's connecting to. And if you study the the really rude, arrogant, uncivil behaviors at work, somebody swearing at a work colleague, somebody interrupting them, somebody kind of leaving their trash on a desk and expecting other people to, to clean it up, and, and so on. This should be pretty familiar to your audience. Two out of three acts of incivility or self-serving impulsive behavior are committed by people in positions of power. And, and I find that so ironic, which is that when you have power, you have, it's almost a privilege. You have more influence over, over other people's lives. Their lives depend on you. And yet the, the nature of feeling powerful makes you hurt them even more, behave in a way that reduces their dignity. And, and that's why I'm really struck by this paradoxical quality of power, which is, boy, when you have power and you're a leader, people's health and well-being depends on you. And there's something about the human mind that makes us forget that. Mm-hmm. And that impulsivity and incivility often just go hand in hand. You also mentioned that it can lead to a feeling of, of exceptionalism, like that the rules don't apply. Could, could you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, you know, this is just astonishing to me. I did this study, Dan, <laughs> where we found in Berkeley, California, and it's replicated that, you know, if you drive a fan, really fancy car, you're more likely to not stop for a pedestrian. And you may have heard about this study. It got a lot of press. And I remember... I was on a radio show in Florida and this police officer calls in and he says, you know, I have to agree with this professor from Berkeley. You know, when I stop people in really fancy neighborhoods that drive in fancy cars and say, Hey, you know, you rolled that stop sign. I'm going to have to give you a ticket. They often lecture me about how you know the rules don't apply. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I, and that's just so striking, which is, again, it's this paradoxical quality or this sort of contradictory quality to like, here we are, people in positions of power who are arrogant about their power. You know, 40% of the time, they're more likely to break the rules. And then these, these other studies show, and they don't think that the rules apply to them. So there's really neat work by Adam Galinsky, which he calls moral hypocrisy, which is when you survey people at work, People in power are more likely to kind of bill things to their expense account that are probably inappropriate. We've seen examples of this recently in business and politics. They're more likely to take stuff from work home that's inappropriate, et cetera. But when asked about this transgression, they're more likely to say, well, those rules don't apply to me. They apply to other people, but not me. And I get really worried about this quality this effect of power, which is we violate the moral codes and the ethical codes that hold societies together when we feel powerful, but we no longer think they're important, right? We no longer think they apply to us. And, and that's very troubling when you, when you put that combination together. Well, it is because when the role models don't model, 
the proper role, then they're going to model the improper. It's only a matter of time before that trickles down and people say, well, I guess it's okay because the leaders wow. don't that. That's really interesting. I hadn't thought about that. That's, mm-hmm. that's worrisome. Well, we're seeing it on an international business scale where 18 months ago, a company was lauded as the most successful, largest and profitable company in the automotive world. And then it was discovered that a cabal of top executives thought they could cheat the emission standards worldwide. And so far, there are jail sentences pending. There's $30 billion in fines. So this exceptionalism, this disrespect, it can show up at the very top levels in some of the biggest and most respected organizations in the world. And for those of us you know, that Dan, are- Dan, I'm so glad you brought that up. I mean, one of my dear friends is Michael Lewis, um, the writer, you know, and the big short really is this story as well, which is that you have these investors who are building these bonds based on really crummy mortgages. And they're like, well, you know, who cares about ratings agencies and, and rules and ethics? Let's go make money. And, and it costs us trillions of dollars. I think it's it just time and time again in our personal lives and in business, this disregard for morals and ethics is so costly. Right. So very grateful for the insights from Dr. Keltner. Do check out his books, uh, The Power Paradox, Born to Be Good. Uh, look at the Greater Good website from Berkeley. And we look forward to next time we can be together. Let's go practice some goodness. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe. To stay updated on everything that the Action Catalyst is up to, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst Podcast and Twitter at Catalyst underscore Action. Thanks for listening.